You know, the gospel is God's means by which he will quicken the dead sinner. The gospel message enlightens the blinded eyes, it softens hardened hearts, and it saves those who will lay hold of it by faith. That's the gospel message. And so it is God's, well, what is it? It's God's, it's God's salient truth that everybody should hear this. Now, what do you think about that, church? Yes. It is God's salient truth that everybody should hear this message. As Romans 10 tells us, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? By the Word of God. And hearing the Word of God, a person is brought to belief. Remember what Jesus said back in John's Gospel? He who believes in the Son of God has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son of God does not see life or does not have life, but he says, and this is what the Apostle Paul is going to go on to talk about in verse 18, but the wrath of God abides within him. And so this is the gospel. The believing person acknowledges who God is. He sees God who, as or as he is, he is a holy, righteous God, and as a sinful person, he recognizes that he needs to repent. Again, we see in Acts chapter 2, at the beginning, at the birth of the church, we see the crowds listening to Peter as he is preaching, talking about Christ. And then Peter says to them, what did he say to them? He said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. What for? For the remission of sin, that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so acknowledging sin, they confess their sin, this is where salvation takes place. With our heart, one believes unto righteousness. Isn't that what Romans 10 tells us? But with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And then being saved. Being saved, a person, you and I, we now live lives honouring unto Jesus Christ. Again, it will be the Apostle Paul. I mean, this is his message. It will be the Apostle Paul who will say to the Philippian church, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he will go on to say, you stand in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so once Paul, recognizing that the only thing the only thing that has power to reconcile a sinful person unto the holy God, the gospel, once he recognizes that and he lays hold of this truth, he begins to say to all of the world, not only to the Roman church, but he begins to say to all of the world, it's got to be everything to us. It's got to be everything to us. And of course, it's got to be the right gospel, doesn't it? Well, the gospel's out there, isn't it? It's got to be the right gospel. There's a gospel of religion out there that says, hey, you've just got to sort yourself out. There's a gospel of materialism out there that says, hey, you get all that you can get because that's how a man, that's how a person is measured in this world. There's a gospel of equality out there that says, oh, I'm okay, you're okay, you make sure nobody else tells you how to be okay and you don't tell me how to be okay. You know that gospel, don't you? Uh, that's out there thick and fast right now. 
And of course, there's a gospel of relativism, relativism, can't say the word, relativism, can't say the word out there that says, hey, you do as you please because life is short, and so you decide. You get the best, you know. But there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel that expresses the love of God for our eternal souls. And of course, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that we place our faith in. Our faith is in who Jesus is. Our faith is in what Jesus has done in his life. And that's what's saved. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that has the power of God active within it. What does it say? Look, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but what does it say? It says your sin has separated you from a holy God. And if you die in that state, your sin will take you to hell. But God, who loves us, has sent His Son into this world, has sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead. And if you will place your faith in Him, then you can and know and will have eternal security, eternal life. That's the gospel, right? But here's the thing. This is why I'm pausing in this 17th verse again this morning. That we have to understand as wonderful as this salvation is, there is so much more to it. And please don't misunderstand me, but there is so much more to it than simply having our sins forgiven. Paul says in that 17th verse, you read it with me again, for in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith unto faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We need to understand that the transforming power of the gospel is realized by the revealed righteousness of God in us. And if we don't understand this, if we don't understand the righteousness of God has been revealed within us, it's going to impede the work of God's Spirit within our lives to transform us. Look, to be a Christian is to be completely overwhelmed by the grace of God's great love to forgive us of our sins. Isn't that right? And it is truly just the most glorious thing. God has forgiven me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. This wretch of a man, this wretch of a man has been forgiven and set free from the consequences of a life lived in ignorance of God's great love for him. I'm talking about myself. But I know that applies to every single one of us, and we can all say yes and amen to that, can't we? I hope we do. Here's the thing. Here's my, my point this morning. There are those that know this wonderful forgiveness and still view themselves as, as marked by that wretch. That their lives are marked by that wretch. And they dare not lift their heads for shame of who they were. They dare not lift their voices to be heard. They dare not offer their gifts. Oh, they're not hiding. Don't misunderstand me. They're not hiding, they're not running, they're not shirking to the contrary. They're godly people. 
They're godly people, but they need to see something. They need to see again, as verse 17 says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed again from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Again, the righteousness of God is revealed. That word revealed is where we get we get the word apocalypto from from, and that is the righteousness of God is unveiled. It's the same same word we see in Revelation. It's the same word that's going to be used in verse 18, which we won't get to this morning. But the righteousness of God, excuse me. <coughs> is unveiled. Think about it from faith to faith. <coughs> when you accept Jesus Christ's forgiveness for sin, the righteousness of God is unveiled in you. Is unveiled in you from faith, revealed from faith to faith. It's an interesting phrase, but the idea being is that the righteousness that is revealed in you at the beginning of your life in Christ, please hear this, is the same as the righteousness that will be in you at the end of your life with Christ on this earth. The just shall live by faith. Did you hear that? The righteousness that you experienced, the moment that you cried out for forgiveness, that time when you said, Let, yes, Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. I know that I need to repent. I know I need to turn away from a life that is opposed to God. I know I need to redirect myself towards God. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to be what you want me to be. From the moment you prayed that prayer, when that truth became truth in you, the righteousness that was unveiled in you is exactly the same as the righteousness that will be in you at the end of this journey and when you enter into eternity stop and think about that stop and think about that and just how liberating that reality will be in your life that's why Paul says the just shall live by faith this great faith it was Luther, Luther, when he understood this, he hated the word righteousness. you know that? He despised the word righteousness because the only thing that he understood about righteousness was the righteousness of God that was condemning his soul. And now the light came and he saw that unveiled in him was this glorious righteousness. Set him free. Set him free. To be and become all that God intended that great man to be. So Philippians chapter 3 says we are found in Christ, doesn't it? We're found in Christ. Not having our own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is where? The righteousness which is from God by faith. See, 
the righteousness that I speak about now is most certainly not our practical today-to-day -to -day living, is it? It certainly is not, for we can all, you know, we can all, every one of us, can go from the most exhilarating heights of glorifying God as we honour Him in the things that we do, and we can go from those exhilarating heights and we can fall to the most deplorable depths of surrendering to our own flesh, and it can happen in seconds, can't it? Christian, can't it, you know? In seconds. No, we all stumble. We all struggle against the flesh. And don't be defeated by this statement. We don't always win those battles. But the war, on the other hand, that has been won, right? The war has been won. The war to prepare your soul for eternity has been won by Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. That's why he cried out, it is finished. He met the just requirements of God. He took our sin, as Colossians chapter 2 tells us. He wiped out the handwriting of requirements that were against us that was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it unto the cross. That's a glorious verse, isn't it? But let me ask you, do you know what was against you? Do you know what the handwriting of requirements that were against you? Well, let me tell you, when you know it, it's a terrifying thing to know. It really is. Because what was against you was the perfect, holy righteousness of God. It was against us because every single one of us had violated the righteousness of God. And Paul is going to spend the next three chapters proving that. We're going to get deep in the next few weeks. Very deep. And it's not going to look that pretty all the time. I'm warning you. Because we're going to get to the third chapter. In the third chapter of the 19th verse, we're going to find the Apostle Paul crying, let every mouth, may every mouth be stopped and the world may become guilty before God. All of mankind. Every single one of us. Guilty. And the righteousness of God condemned us. That's what that's what troubled Luther. And that was the reality of every man, woman and child. Do you understand that? The righteousness of God condemned us? And that's a, if we stay there it gets heavy, doesn't it? It gets heavy and it weighs down upon us. What are you talking about, Chris? Doesn't God love me? The righteousness of God condemns me. But praise God, we don't stay there, do we? Because Jesus took that guilty charge and he drove it into the cross with the very nails that pierced his sinless life and by his Pure blood, please hear this. Those accusations against us were completely wiped away and covered over more accurately. They were replaced. 
Next question, do you know what they were replaced with? Those accusations, those charges, you know what they were replaced with? This is glorious. They were replaced with His righteousness. They were replaced and you who were not what you were created to be because of your sin have been made what you ought to be. And you ought to be child of God because you are every single one of us. You ought to be acceptable to God. In fact, that's what righteousness is. That's a good, that's a good definition of righteousness. Of righteous, I should say. It is the condition of being acceptable to God. It is the unveiling of God's righteousness within the believer. I love, you know, I love this because I love that Paul uses what we refer to as the passive voice in this language, which means you and I have nothing to do with it. Being made righteous. It's a sovereign work of God's grace and we accept it by faith. William Barclay, I love William Barclay, one of the old writers, you know, he explains it this way. Let me just read this to you. And he talks about the Greek word that is used there for unrighteous or, or actually also used to, to translate as justified. The decay, I can't say decay, you know, he says this. He says the Greek verb which is used there, dekeio, means I, I justify. And it is used in the sense that it is used there. It is always used to treat the subject as or account reckon to or treat the subject as something. So God justifies a sinner doesn't mean that he suddenly finds good reason to prove that the sinner was right after all or has been made right far from it. It doesn't even mean that at a point he makes that sinner a good person. Again, far from that, but it means that God treats the sinner as something. You know what it was? God treats the sinner, you and I, as we had never been a sinner. Now that, that I can say because it's God's righteousness. And I know that is so glorious to understand. I hope, I hope this is not something that just floats over us. Because that is so glorious. And I understand why there are people in this world who find it hard to accept it. But we have to. We have to accept that this declaration of righteousness is not to be compared to any righteousness of any mere human being. Again, it was Andrew Murray who would say, nor is this righteousness of innocence equal to that of the innocence of Adam and Eve in a pre-fall state. No, he says, this is God's righteousness. It is one characterized by the perfection belonging to all that God is and does. It is a God righteousness. See, that is what God unveils to the one who by faith believes that God has forgiven them. I know I'm harping on this, but we must know that the forgiveness of sin 
and the righteous and righteousness of being cannot be divided or separated. It, it's been said in the simplest of terms, if God forgives you, he has made you righteous. If God has made you righteous, he holds no sin against you. Do you see how liberating that is? When we have an enemy who is the accuser of the brethren, who seems to spend all his time telling you the opposite, right? And that's why if we don't understand the righteousness that has been unveiled in us, it's going to limit the work of God's transforming power in our lives. Let me ask you this morning, are you being transformed as a child of God? Do you recognize the work of God's Word by the power of God's Spirit creating you a new person? Christian, do you realize it? Do you experience it in your life? Is it true that all things have passed away? Behold, all things have become new? Well, let me ask, and I've got to ask this question. Do you find yourself in that, uh, that unhealthy spiritual malaise? You have a sense that things are not right, but you don't really know what it is. Maybe there's something you need to do, there's something you need to change, there's something you need to get right, but again, you don't know really what that is. You just don't feel that you have what it is. And do you know that feeling? And, and, and maybe and maybe God doesn't feel or seem to be there. You see, if you are experiencing that in any degree, the enemy's going to jump right in there, isn't he? And he's going to say, it's because you are a filthy. And you hear this voice. You are a filthy sinner. Look at you again and again and again and again. Failing, failing, failing. How long do you think God is going to keep on accepting that? Look, you may not hear that rhetoric, but it's a sense, isn't it? This is that spiritual malaise that creeps into the life of the believer who does not understand that the very righteousness of God has been unveiled in their lives and they don't see it. And if you realize that in any degree within your life, you can be defeated. So let me finish this morning by asking you to imagine this very often presented scenario. Certainly it's not a scenario I have made up. It's been used over and over again. But will you imagine with me this morning, and I probably would hazard a guess, you don't have to imagine too hard to get the first half of this gelling within your thinking. You owe the bank money, right? You owe the bank money, but you have no way of paying your debt. Now again, this is not hard to imagine, right? But for, for whatever reason, this is where it is getting hard to imagine now, but for whatever reason, 
your man comes along and says, hey, don't you worry about it. That's too good to hear, isn't it? Yeah. Don't you worry about it. And they say, hey, forget the debt. You don't know what's anything. Oh, the heights. Oh, the glory of it all, right? The great dream has been fulfilled, and now you go to bed a happy man, a happy person. Here's the problem. When you wake up the next morning, yeah, yesterday's problem's gone. Guess what? Today, you're still broke. Today, you're still broke. Today, you still have no income. And if things don't change by tomorrow, guess what tomorrow's going to bring? It's going to bring you back into debt. <laughs> and you're going to be in debt again. So, for the give, so the forgiving of the debt is a good thing, yes. We had one good night's sleep. But it's not the total solution, is it, to getting on with a good life, now is it? Do you hear what I'm saying? Now before you say to me, hey, go get a job, right, and ruin this analogy completely, let, let, let me get you to think now about the greatness of the debt of sin that Jesus came to die for so that you might be forgiven. Now look, for each and every one of us, that is of an enormity that we can't even begin to measure, isn't it? God has forgiven us such a huge debt, a debt that we had no way of repaying or sorting it out ourselves. But what if, like our financial problem, we find ourselves with a clean slate before God tonight? He's forgiven me of my sin, and that's all we know. And that's all we know about God's dealing with us. You know, praise God, he's, he's, he's saved me by His grace. I don't deserve it. God has forgiven me of all of those godless deeds. But here's the thing. If that's all I know, when I wake up tomorrow morning, I have to make sure that I don't end up back in the red with God again. How long will it be before I have to do business with God again. But how do I do that anyway? I, I guess there'll be a way. I guess there'll be something I can do. I guess I'll be able to work it out. Mm. Ah. Consider the bank again. Consider the bank again. Consider, now what if that bank came to you and said, hey, you're dead that we forgave you? I want you to know something else. We didn't just forgive you your debt, but what is ours is yours. Mm. You can come in at any time, day and night, and you can help yourself to it. It's all yours. Amen. Now that's a game changer, isn't it? Amen. That's an absolute game changer. You will never again be concerned about being in debt. Now you are free to pursue life without any impediments. Mm -hmm. 
Now, while I know this is not a perfect analogy, I understand that. But you get the picture, don't you? Don't you get the picture that's painting? Jesus not only forgives us of our sin, but he also gives us his very own righteousness, which means there is nothing that we do not presently have that can improve our standing before God. There is nothing. Every day begins and ends with you being in the fullness of a right relationship with God from faith unto faith. He has given you a righteousness that has equipped you from the very beginning to be fully accepted and pleasing unto God. Think about it. In Christ you were complete, you are complete, you will always be complete. The truth of this alive within the heart and the mind of the child of God changes everything. Everything. Now I know the critics are going to come along and Paul's going to deal with it all. They're going to talk about cheap grace. They're They're going to attack this gospel. This gospel over and over again. But stick with me, friends. Stick with me. The answers are here. They're all here. Because you knowing this truth can now move forward into verse 18. The gospel of the power is the power of God for salvation unto everyone who believes. All I want you to have as bedrock as we enter into this study, what I want you to have as bedrock is to realize that God has given to you. He has unveiled to you what He has always demanded of you. What is that? Righteousness. Righteousness. Which prepares us to move forward. Because as I said to you, it's going to get very, very deep. For the wrath of God is revealed. There's our word again. Is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and what? Unrighteousness of men who do what? Suppress the truth in what? Unrighteousness. See, we're ready for that now, aren't we? That's next week.